Hello, hello. Let's just get straight into it. Hello, everybody. I am Marawat. That is hometown.com over there. Sorry. And up there is the AI from on high. But before the AI even says anything, I'm going to say this is season two, episode 165 for June 14th, 2023. Tonight's title is Non-Smoky and the Bear Cop and more news. Hey, AI, are you uh, available to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Hello. And we didn't change your visualizer. That's okay, though. Well, I, I think we can just... It'll I'll be take, okay. I'll take some copium and deal with it. I like keeping things changing, dynamic. We... I, I like uh, the show to be the lather within which you can just soap up and uh, clean off with all of that dynamic, chaotic news just distilled down into a soapy mess that you can just wash off at the end of the day and go, yeah, I got a well-rounded cleansing of the news none of this has it i i really don't know what i'm talking about hey we should go to the first article that's a good idea let's do that the very first article for today's hometown daily is attorney sentenced to two years for faking court orders or one half year if someone gets him a pen and some time this is over in the Law Nerd channel, which focuses on law-related articles, but um, I am not an attorney. I'm not your attorney. And even if I was an attorney, I'm not your attorney. So go find an attorney that can be your attorney. That is my marketing message. Um, but I love some attorney-related stuff like the law and... Uh, Typically, the discussions that lawyers have about stuff, um, particularly when they have zero problem with peeling back the layers of a lawsuit and, and really getting to the nuts and bolts of it because they don't have a skin, any skin in the game or a dog in the hunt or a horse in the race or whatever it is. When they are not trying to shield themselves or a client from liability, they really like to talk about the law when they're into it, you know, anyway, how did someone get away with faking court orders for this long is what this little snippet says. Um, and we aggregate from a bunch of different sources and then we end up talking about it here in hometown daily. We do it every day, 9 PM Eastern. So follow us here and uh, you'll be informed as to when we do another show. Um, so this is aggregated from above the law and Joe Patrice is the author and says last year, Andrew attorney, Andrew Gavin, Wynn found himself on the wrong end of an indictment leveling five counts of identity theft for faking documents, um, up to and including court orders and judgments. What? Okay. I don't think I've ever heard of this occurring. <laughs> When pleaded guilty and earlier this week received a prison sentence, 
of 31 months and ordered to pay $351,000 in restitution. So I guess that's the part where it says, or half a year if someone gets him a pen and some time. <laughs> right, because he'll just write up a new uh, <laughs> judgment or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In one case, Wynn allegedly faked a final divorce order that required the husband to pay $900 in child support according to an ethics filing that is cited by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. In another, when allegedly created an order of contempt requiring the husband to pay $20,000 within 15 days and then half his income plus $2,500 every month, which is the power of a comma because he can't perpetually pay half his income and $2,500. Right, I don't even understand that. But I guess it's a diminishing value, right? So half of a hundred thousand in the first month is fifty thousand, and half of fifty thousand in the second month is twenty-five thousand. So at some point, when he's down to two thousand, he only has to pay a thousand plus twenty-five hundred dollars per month. Anyway, I I might have extrapolated that a little bit too far. Anyway, it's shocking that an attorney can get away with it to, uh, with this today. Dockets are increasingly electronic and searchable, even pro se litigants can check uh, to verify orders that seem out of whack this depending on the volume here the you know this this isn't necessarily out of whack right i mean if the if the amount of transactions that this divorce the i guess they focused on um marriage yeah, Are they, they must a divorce have been like attorney? a family lawyer, a divorce attorney. Family, yeah. Okay. Anyway, there isn't much more to this article. Um, you can obviously get some more um, out of this article if you follow the link through hometown. All roads lead to hometown and back out to all of the various sources. Um, you'll be able to read some more about it. And there's links. So it says, and the most absurd part of working at Above the Law is that this isn't even the worst forging judge signature uh, story that the author can think of. And there's a link there. So enjoy that one. And it says maybe a good reason to be as skeptical of court orders as you are of firm salary announcements. So be sure to click that one. I think we actually did an article on that. I think we talked about that in uh, hometown daily because firm salaries are like a so hundred thousand to two million dollars wait what right which is like what <laughs> yeah anyway uh, st louis lawyer sentenced to to uh over two years in prison for faking legal documents oh and this is just astonishing uh, but they got away with it i don't know how many though right because it doesn't actually say that made me think of the scooby-doo line I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you darn kids. That's it. <laughs> That's okay. Let's go on to the next article. I have to say this out loud. This is in the Mobile Channel, by the way. Um, and it's um, the title is <clears throat> Urban Great Tits less stress than their countryside cousins finds study. Oh yeah. Let's talk about the urban great tits. 
Certain animals are able to adjust well to environments that have been created or altered by human activity. We live in an age in which urbanization is preceding or proceeding at an ever faster rate, something that also affects fauna. The great tit is a little bird originally suited in it to a life in the forest, but has been blessed with a remarkable ability to adapt to human environments. That's right. Great tits, not in the city. Maybe great tits do better in the country. Okay, let's go over to fizz.org. Lund University, or Lund University, is where this article is housed. New researchers at Lund University have discovered that great tits are in urban environment. Oh, wait. Um, in urban environments, oh, the power of a word, um, have lower levels of stress hormones than their cousins who live in the forest. So forest tits are happier tits. The great tits high cognitive capacity means it's highly adaptable and urban great tits seem to have adapted so well to the new environment that they are not stressed by high population density. Another possible explanation is that um, it is the most intelligent and most flexible individuals who succeeded in colonizing urban environments in the first place, says Anders Broden, biologist at Lund University. So, yeah, I mean, it could be evolution, adaptation, um, leading to the city birds not having a problem, but the country birds saying, I don't like it in the city. Is there more uh, at this article? Yeah, there's always more. They've got some statistics. Um, I, concentrations of cor corticosterone, corticosterone in feathers of forest and urban dwelling, uh, great tits. So. I mean, I guess that's just like what they say about humans, right? Like your stress levels are supposed to go down in nature. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting observation, huh? So I guess these city folk are just highly stressed because of city life. But is it because of the people or is it because they're working harder? I mean, we, living we in the really city know. is expensive. Yeah. I mean, are they doing like a New York City pace? Wow. I guess we're going to have to interview them, right? The tail, the tail feathers grow over two to three weeks in late summer and early autumn, so they provide a good measurement of the average hormone level of a, over a continuous period. During this time, winter flocks form around feeding habits, and uh, a high rank is important to survive in, in order to survive uh, to winter. This leads to a lot of skirmishes as individuals attempt to establish themselves in the flock. Oh, everybody fighting up inside these city environments. I guess they do it in the uh, urban and um, what what did they call the other countryside? I don't know. Maybe it's harder to. I mean, in the city, it's a higher population density, so they're going to be scra uh, scrappy more, and so maybe that's part of it. 
they're stressed because they're fighting. You get out into well, the country, true. there's more land, there's more space. Right. They don't have to fight for territory or seeds or whatever. Yeah, the, the pecking order, so to speak, isn't the same. Having small birds in a garden adds to the enjoyment of many people, and our study suggests that bird feeding is especially important for species such as the great tit to be able to live close to us. So, feed your tits, folks. Feed your tits. Uh, the next article is over in the Late Night Geeks channel. Secret Invasion brings the MCU down to Earth. Samuel L. Jackson and Olivia Coleman shine in Marvel's new Disney Plus show, which feels more like a souped-up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV uh, event than a proper spy thriller, which is kind of how I felt that this was going to be um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that kind of died on the vine, but uh, let's go over to the source. This is at The Verge. Charles Pulliam Moore is the author and um, yeah, let's, let's see if there's something interesting in here uh, for quite some time now, Marvel cinematic universe. It has been littered with a handful of rather major loose threads like that hand jutting out of earth uh, that the studio seemed intent on glossing over in favor of marching into its next phase of high-flying super heroic storytelling disney plus's new secret invasion series from creator kyle bradstreet uh, often feels like it wants you to understand how much groundwork it's laying for the rest um, of marvel's phase five but it does so by digging deep into the franchise's past and giving samuel l jackson's nick fury the spotlight he's always deserved before i go too deep into this let me throw this into the chat so that you can check it all out. Um, I think I missed one. Yeah, man. I'll never get it right, folks, but stick around. You'll be able to say I knew him when, when I actually do get it right. Uh, rather than bringing Nick Fury back down to Earth to deal with a wholly new threat, Secret Invasion revolves around one of the most fascinating questions left unanswered by 2019's Captain Marvel. Whatever happened to the scroll refugees, which is kind of interesting because this was in the past, the the whole scroll invasion. When last we saw them in Captain Marvel, the scrolls were a relatively small group of survivors hiding in Earth's orbit, trying to regroup after almost being wiped out by the Kree. The alien beings have largely gone unmentioned in Marvel's movies and shows since. But in two episodes provided to the press, Secret Invasion makes it clear that the scrolls and their plight have been something, or sorry, some of the only things that truly haunted Fury in his decades-long career as a super spy. Apparently, he doesn't have any superpowers of any kind. Uh, so much so that they're a big part of why he's been MIA since Avengers Endgame. How could he so, have no superpowers and be in Marvel? Um, a lot of people have no superpowers. Um, uh, they're just highly skilled. Um, I don't know if he has anything, as a matter of fact. I, I don't recall. But then again, I might have just set fire to Omtown by <laughs> <laughs> not making a connection to something. I don't think that I've read. I, I don't know. I, I haven't really read much of uh, uh, Nick Fury's past. Um, so see, and the MCU doesn't necessarily 
follow all of the canon of uh, comics. Uh, Secret Invasion doesn't exactly kick off with the elegance of the finely tuned conspiracy thriller it wants to be, um, as it brings familiar characters like um, Everett K. Ross and Maria Hill back into the picture, just so uh, just to illustrate how people aren't always who they appear to be when the scrolls are around. Um, so that's interesting. Um, it's interesting because in Secret Invasion, you really don't know. You can't trust anybody because you don't know if they're a scroll. Because scroll has the ability to change shape. Um, they can look like anyone else. What they don't, what they lack though, is the. When I say this, it's not. I'm not talking about smarts. They lack the intelligence necessary to replicate the personalities of the people. So somebody can sit there and ask them a question, and they won't necessarily know the idiomatic answer to it. Like if you ask like me a they question, they could answer an official answer, but not something that would require more thought or something, something that isn't secret. So they can answer something that isn't secret. But the moment that you ask me what my favorite ice cream is, and I've never told anybody what my secret, what my favorite ice cream is, except you, you would know that I'm a scroll because I say chocolate and you know that I don't like chocolate ice cream, even though you had me at ice cream. So two episodes in, it's hard to tell just how much heat secret invasions really cooking with, because it does seem to be angling itself at something of a slow burn with more uh, surprising twists uh, built in on the back end. And this is pretty typical for all things Apple. It seems um, I have, uh, not Apple, but Disney Plus. Um, and because Disney Plus and Apple and, and the, the whole <sighs> silo of these mega corporations doing their own product and item development, right? There's like a whole category that's within Disney Plus. That's just Disney Plus. It's all developed within Disney Plus. It's not an outside organization. Um, it seems like these shows are slow burns. Um, so let's go back to that first show that we were talking about yesterday, um, which was foundation foundations. First, um, season was a slow burn compared to what people are saying about this season. It's a very slow burn. There was a lot of political intrigue. I think silo is going to be the same way. Um, and others are going to be the same way. They're saying this person here, um, Charles Pulliam Moore is saying that secret invasion is going to be a slow burn. So I will brace myself, but I expect nothing when I watch a show, just that it's going to be a good show. Did you want to add anything to this? No, I don't really have anything on this one. I mean, it, sounds like it could be good and i i mentioned before i think about the connection of falcon and the winter soldier so i'll be interested to see that we'll see if that similar style pops up yeah this will be interesting let's go the uh the next article is over in the late night geeks channel a san francisco library is turning off wi-fi at night to keep people without housing from using it I think this is kind of weird. Um, plus, if it's a library and it's a publicly 
uh, funded service, then why not let people <laughs> use the internet? Um, if they have the ability to access the internet, the amount of knowledge that can be gleaned from using the internet is pretty tremendous. They can stay in touch with people uh, without having to make phone calls or going to other places and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, in San Francisco's District 8, which is the name of a movie about aliens, um, a public well, library that explains has explains this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, District 8 has basically um, in an area in, I think it's Johannesburg. Um, there's a, a region called District 8, and it's where aliens have landed and, and made a base kind of a thing. Um, and it's really awesome world building, but I don't think that it's in San Francisco. A public library, though, has been shutting down Wi-Fi outside business hours for nearly a year. The measure, quietly implemented in mid-2022, was made at the request of neighbors and the Office of City Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. It's an attempt to keep city dwellers who are currently unhoused away from the area by locking down access to one of the library's most valuable public services. Such a you know, thing. the library is kind of supposed to be one of those places that's available to everybody. It just seems like a really scummy thing to do. Neighbors at the library collaborated with the city to urge the library to turn off its Wi-Fi at night in hopes the Castro neighborhood's unhoused population would move on. <laughs> not in my backyard. You're not using the Internet. Ah. <laughs> uh... A local activist known as HDIS or HD is. I, I like the idea of high definition is. Um, anyway, HDIS revealed details behind the move last month, tweeting public records of a July 2022 email exchange between local residents and the city supervisor. I have to chuckle because if I think too hard about this, it makes me cry. In the emails, residents complained about open drug use and sidewalks blocked by residents who are unhoused. One relayed a secondhand story about a library worker who had been followed to her car. And by way of response, they demanded the library limit the hours Wi-Fi was available. Why are the vagrants and drug addicts so attracted to the library? One person asked rhetorically, it's the free 24 hours seven Wi-Fi. So now I'm really curious. Is that true? <laughs> Could that be true? I mean, if you're using drugs, why do you necessarily need to be online? I mean, aren't you a little preoccupied? And if you're tracking somebody, you're not hanging out on Wi-Fi tracking somebody. You're there because this person said that they were being stalked. Okay, right. here's what you do. You have the police roam that area and exactly. you know, disrupt the status quo of people just, even if they're unhoused or whatever, find a solution for the housing issue. You know, there, there's got to be something. Um, well, we know the solution to that. <coughs> right? Uh, ship them the to other states. $500 rents. Sorry, the air is really dry and I'm sitting here coughing. So 
San Francisco's libraries have been uh, historically progressive when it comes to providing resources to people who are unhoused. Even hiring specialists offer assistance. But on August 1st, city librarian Michael Lambert met with Mandelman's office to discuss the issue. The next day, District 8's Eureka Valley Harvey Milk Memorial Branch began turning its Wi-Fi off. So did that solve the problem? I'm really curious. So um, it says in the initial months after the decision, the library apparently received no complaints. But in March, a little over seven months later, it got a request to reverse the policy. I'm worried about my friend, the email reads, whom I'm trying to get into long term residential treatment. San Francisco has shelters, but the requester said the friend had trouble communicating with staff and has a hard time being around people who used drugs, among other issues, because this friend has, has no regular cell service. Free Wi-Fi is the only lifeline to me or, for that matter, any services for crisis or whatever else. <clears throat> the resident said some of the neighborhood's residents do not understand uh, what they do to us poor folks, nor the homeless, by some of the things they do here. Yeah. So employees at the library received the request, but Lambert wrote that the, he was less inclined for us to focus on the Wi-Fi after hours request. He rejected a social services supervisor offer to gather information about the sources of free Wi-Fi, asking them to simply provide leads on mental health or suicide prevention. So am I the only one who finds any irony in like the name of the library? I mean, this was somebody who was known for fighting against discrimination in public accommodations, housing, and employment. Now, it was based on, it wasn't about being unhoused, but I just found that kind of interesting. Right. The Harvey but, I mean, they fought Library. For, yeah, they fought for equity, inclusion, equality, seeing people as, as the humans. mayor of Castro Street. Yeah. Um, there's actually... On the other side of the United States, they were burning books or something like that that had to do with milk. So quite quite shocking that uh, we live in a world this polarized when all it is is to try and get people to see other people as human beings and not just chattel. Um, Legislative aide Jackie Thornhill told The Verge in an email that obviously the presence or lack of all-night Wi-Fi isn't going to make a huge difference on its own, but she believes that it's one of the many reasons the library is so attractive to criminal activity. Thornhill also sent a spreadsheet of 911 calls that she says shows crimes have been down for the last nine months. So according to that, the Wi-Fi is the leading cause of crime. Public access is the leading cause of crime. And if that were true, then that would persist across every densely populated region. Right. So, I mean, wouldn't we have pockets of crime around other libraries or, or any free access? I don't know, airports, wherever they have access. I mean, yeah, exactly. So there's more to this library. It says so far, it's not clear that other libraries will follow Eureka's uh, Eureka Valley's lead, but San Francisco is at the epicenter of a broader fight over issues like homelessness in the U.S. 
including among Silicon Valley tech moguls who have blamed progressive policies and residents who are houseless for violence, even when they're later proven wrong. <clears throat> and this actually okay. will probably, this will probably link to that murder where yeah. they blamed it on a, uh, how I, the term changed from homeless to houseless, but I'm not sure, or the unhoused. Um, I'm not quite sure why the difference um, was made, but apparently yeah, it's significant. Yeah, so probably enough. talk about that, which it wasn't. It was somebody who was well known to the person. Um, but I wanted to point out the the um, quote yep. that you just moved away from. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Hold on, hold on. It's because I was trying to throw the the URLs into the chat and I figured that you're an AI, you're supposed to have it all in your head. Uh, it said that, um, quote, the link or the link between Wi-Fi and crime, quote, would be laughed out of the first week of a statistics 101 class or 001 class, end quote. I thought that was a good <laughs> that, That's interesting. Another from a former resident who says they now sit on the Contra Costa library sorry, Contra Costa County Library Commission argues that shutting off Wi-Fi for those who need it isn't going to disappear homelessness, let alone help people find resources. Yeah, access... Just like you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> access is pretty fundamental. Uh, if you're going to get somebody to find the resources they need, you need to give them the ability to. And it's not like they're going to be able to you know, charge their cell bill on a credit card because, you know, they're houseless. <laughs> um, it, yeah, they're looking for a job. They're looking for a place. They're looking for clothing. They're looking for a meal. They're looking for shelter. They're looking for safety. Just because crime exists doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that are trying to get the hell away from the crime and make their life better. And they just can't find the opportunity because nobody is being nobody is able to offer them a job training whatever and a place to lead a sheltered life and by sheltered i mean uh, a house uh, a tiny home somewhere for crying out loud would do a great number of people a great deal of <clears throat> infusion of pride uh, stability the place to call uh home and, and then they can go and take public transport to some other place they can take a shower they can cook a meal and stay warm and tiny homes can be very very inexpensive particularly if you embrace 3d modeling technologies um, and just print it out you can literally print out a a, a 3d cement house um and it's made from the material right there where you put the house and it can be inexpensive, but in the grand scheme of things, nobody wants to foot that bill, even society, because we don't want freeloaders, you know, taking our resources. Right, 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 right. Everybody's just a bad day away from ending up in the same situation, <clears throat> you know, anyway. Um, it says on whether shutting off nighttime Wi-Fi would solve anything. Jennifer Friedenbach of San Francisco's Coalition on Homelessness told The Verge in a phone interview, folks are not out there on the streets by choice. They're 
destitute and don't have other options. These kinds of efforts like turning off Wi-Fi just exacerbate homelessness and have the opposite effect. Putting that energy into fighting for housing for unhoused neighbors would be a lot more effective. Well, in San Francisco, you know, the people, everybody there just takes it for granted that they've got everything that they've got. But the moment that they lose their job and nobody offers them the ability to find a replacement job, they could easily be in that same boat because it's $4,500 a month to get an apartment. But of course, all of these people are from privilege and the anomalies that aren't from privilege literally are anomalies and shouldn't be hero worshiped. They are the anomalies that seem to find their way out. If you try and take all of the, the people who, uh, you know, come from, from some distant country land here with five bucks in their pocket and somehow become a millionaire, you can't use that as the rule of thumb because everybody's situation is unique. And somewhere in that person's history, there's a layer of onion that hasn't been disclosed that made it possible for that person to excel. Some opportunity, some person, something offered them all of the ability, all of the, the options, the, the, the possibility of becoming that millionaire. And it could have been as easy as, hey, you have free access at the library. Yep, one simple action can cause a tremendous impact. There was there. There's a person in in uh, Africa who, and I can't remember their name. I can't remember if it was in Sudan. They learned on the internet how to do wiring, and now they light up their community um, with solar cells and something else. They also learned how to, that they can use a drop of blood to cause um, a catalyst reaction so that a bottle of water and a drop of blood in that catalyst can make it glow at night so that there's some light in a room and it's learned online. So exactly. That's really spectacular. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on. Uh, the, the next article is over in hometown daily UPS workers will get air conditioned, uh, trucks after years of heat related hospitalizations and even baking cookies on their dashboards. Pretty shocking. But again, you don't become a billionaire by allowing people to have equity and inclusion and equality and uh, a, a, a positive work life balance. You have to make everybody suffer for an X amount of time so that you can make profit off of their hard work and suffering. That's just how it works. Come on. Right? Everybody? We all agree? No, that's not it. What? Wait, I'm wrong? I'm, am I? <sighs> well, UPS agreed to add air conditioning to its trucks as part of ongoing talks with the Teamsters Union. Oh, look at that. It wasn't out of the kindness of their heart, right? Oh, that's a... This is my shocked face. <laughs> there was a word that I dropped off. I filtered it. Anyway, heat has been a concern for drivers who have said that their trucks reach dangerous temperatures. Some UPS drivers have been hospitalized due to heat related problems. I'm sure that there's a, a manager 
out there or a boss of some kind all the way up to the ceo that's probably sitting there going those freaking wusses we should just kick them out and get somebody else one said that they baked cookies on their dashboard <laughs> that's pretty damn okay, hot that's man. really bad <laughs> so ups drivers are going to get some relief from the brutal summer heat probably not this season but okay Madeline Berg over at businessinsider.com put this article together. They've reached a tentative deal. All right. Okay, so let's scroll through here and see if we can find a date. The company said Tuesday that it had reached a tentative deal with the Teamsters Union that would equip its brown delivery trucks with air conditioning, additional fans, and new heat shields. Heat shields? Okay. Uh, UPS and the Teamsters Union have been in negotiations for months attempting to agree on a new contract and avoid a strike. The issues at the table include higher wages for part-time and weekend workers, driver surveillance, and heat, which can be dangerous working conditions for UPS drivers. Oh, yes, I'm sure you care. Um, so... Last June, a 24-year-old driver, Esteban Chavez, died during... Uh, their time at UPS found unconscious. Um, other reports that they're dying out there. <clears throat> UPS CEOs would never accept working in 120 or 130 degree offices. Teamsters for Union Direct tweeted last year. Drivers shouldn't have to either. I won't in 80 degree. <laughs> Why? Exactly. Because stagnating there and just 80 degree is too much for an extended period of time i mean unless i'm out there on the beach enjoying my time my work-life balance shouldn't subsist of you know 80 85 90 degree working conditions let alone 100 120 and the people that are out there that are working in these kind of conditions the the, the people that do roofing and stuff like that man they should get paid bank but they don't they should get hazard pay they should get hazard pay and i've done that stuff before you know i've done demolition i've done building i've hung drywall i've uh, done taping and mudding and i've uh, worked on cars and done pretty much every gig and never have i had to sit there in 120 to 130 degree offices and that's the key factor here. You know, if you're outside, you might get a breeze. You can hydrate often. You know what you're getting into. But getting into a truck that's driving around at 120 degrees, you're out of your freaking mind. You're basically in an oven. So anyway, it says here, UPS will also install new fans, exhaust heat shields in existing trucks, and the exhaust heat shields will minimize heat from the vehicle's powertrain and can reduce the floor temperatures by up to 17 degrees. The only potential downside for UPS drivers, no longer using their scorching dashboards to bake cookies. I don't even want to click that link because it makes it too real. <laughs> But like all of the articles, there are links that will take you to um, additional information. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Law Nerd channel. And don't worry, it's not about Donald Trump. Donald Trump got indicted for toilet espionage, but we still need to talk about this bear cop. When you think about it, 
is a deputized bear really weirder than keeping classified documents in a bathroom with two chandeliers? Little bathroom I would espionage. I say it's weirder. <laughs> Little bathroom espionage. Never heard anybody. So uh, Joe Patrice over at Above the Law put this article together. And it says here that uh, Davis Polk plays follow the leader with Scadden and announces a four-day in-office work week. I don't think this has anything to do with that. And we talk about a bear cop. So let's talk about this bear cop, Winnie the Narc. This is over at Above the Law. Joe Patrice. Case seems very, very stupid. Authorities tie camera onto a bear. Property owners cry illegal search. Trouble in the 100-acre woods, or more accurately, 117-acre property in Connecticut, where owners Mark and Carol Brault have filed suit. There's a complaint attached to this uh, article, by the way. Um, alleging Fourth Amendment violations stemming from a snooping bear. So, um, as the couple's attorney said, what they do have on them, uh, on some of the bears with collars, is GPS devices so they can track where they are. I understand that's part of wildlife management, but never, never, never were there cameras. And it's a little difficult to understand the point of the camera. What would that do? What a camera would do is capture what's going on around the bear, opening the door to surreptitiously capturing private activity without a warrant, which sounds bad, but the facts get more fuzzy wuzzy than that. So what they found was it's the latest salvo in a years long dispute between Brault and the town of Heartland, which claims Brault have been illegally feeding bears. That's what this whole thing is about. Illegally feeding bears. Oh, AI, that you didn't know is that? what the surveillance is over. I would have assumed it was something really significant, like running a drug operation or a... Yeah, human trafficking or bear fighting or something. Or yeah, yeah. Something. But no. This is actually all about them feeding bears. They didn't put a bear on the camera. Uh, they didn't put a camera on the bear. They didn't put a bear on the camera is what I said. They didn't put a well, camera on the bear. Either. They didn't do either um, to spy on the Brault's property. They put a camera on a bear to figure out who the F is feeding this bear. That seems like an altogether reasonable search because contrary to the uh, lawyer statement, preventing humans from luring dangerous wild animals into areas they don't belong with promises of free porridge is absolutely wildlife management. <laughs> By way of analogy, this is like tying a camera to Yogi to see where he's been getting all those picnic baskets. It's not snooping on their property. It's snooping on the behavior of a wild animal who has decidedly fewer rights. Yes, there's a Second Amendment joke here for anyone who wants it. They have a link. I'm not going to follow it. Um, anyway, assuming... Uh, preventing random maulings is a reasonable state objective. Spying on the bear is also the least intrusive investigatory approach. The only conceivable alternative uh, to this would be tracking the bear and then setting up a hidden camera uh, stings to peer on every property the animal ever frequents to see if authorities can luck into finding someone in the act of feeding the bear. That's a way worse search. So... I totally get what they are doing. 
but it's a, a, a bear will roam wherever they roam. The problem is that the bear's being conditioned to hang out around people and to go to houses for food. I mean, that's really bad for the whole community. That's bad for the animals and for the people. It's bad for everybody because if somebody's out hiking, that bear might think, oh, well, they have food because I see food around those other people that are around these buildings. <clears throat> I think that it's a pretty dumb thing to do to feed wildlife. Um, and it's usually illegal depending on where it is, but yeah. So it says this should give the plaintiffs pause. <sighs> Given the state of the law, the case faces the uphill battle of proving the bear got into the still protected curtilage immediately surrounding their home. Though even if it did, the courts could cure it by excluding that material from the inevitable wildlife regulation violation matter. Hell, they just exclude anything the camera catches beyond three feet of the bear's snout. Everything about this case is a joke and not funny haha -ha so much as funny waka waka. And that's a uh, what's his name from the Muppets? Fozzy Bear? Fozzy Bear joke. Yeah. So, yeah, I have no problem with them trying to stop somebody feeding bears um, because it is a societal harm when a bear, when a wild animal is conditioned to, to not be afraid of human beings. They won't be afraid of human beings. I'd rather they stay scared of us. We're bad enough as it is, but imagine what's going to happen if a bear starts walking into communities thinking that it's okay to go and get food from some little kid or somebody just walking along with a dog. Anyway, bad news. Bad news bears all around. Next article is over in the word in law as well. Comcast complains to FCC that listing all of its monthly fees is too hard. I love this one. Comcast is not happy about new federal rules that says the ingredients in that steaming pile that you've been serving up with really bad customer service uh, has to be outlined. <clears throat> well, I don't apparently. think that was in the article. Oh, that, that isn't a direct quote from the article. Sorry, folks. Um, I digress. Comcast is not happy about the new federal rules that will require it to provide broadband customers with labels displaying exact prices and other information about internet service plans. I have to say that Comcast is pretty calm about their billing. Um, unlike... Uh, Direct TV, which has raised the rate five bucks every year, even though I'm supposed to be on a fixed plan, I'm not on a fit. I'm not with them anymore anyway. So, Hey, uh, Direct TV, stop calling. Um, anyway, in a filing last week, Comcast told the FCC that it's working diligently to put in place the systems and processes necessary to create, maintain, and display the labels as required. But according to Comcast, it's too hard, mom. I think it's a riot because I'm like, if it's too hard, they, they're either making up fees or they're just changing them arbitrarily. Like, yeah. It should be pretty simple. It should be. If you charge somebody for X, 
put it in the bill and explain it why down. it's there. And it yeah. should be in the, the same hell? across everybody's bill. Whoa. Yeah. I have a I have a billing line that says uh, complaining about the hidden fees charge. What? Anyway, <laughs> exactly. Comcast blasted. That's special for you. <laughs> I think so. Just like Ticketmaster. The convenience fee for the convenience fee. The convenience fee for them to not locate your tickets even. Mm, oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, I won't get into that because it's... There's a whole lot more with whole, the whole Ticketmaster fiasco dynamic I, I just don't buy into what's going on and it's so black box now that you just don't know what's going on you don't know as a consumer what's going on you have to make assumptions like you know what you're doing but you just don't know john brodkin over at ars technica put this article together about comcast complains to fcc that listing all of the monthly fees is too hard <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think it's hilarious. So, um, yeah, they have no problem doing all of this, um, but. And, and it's not like this, actually, it says broadband label that ISPs will be required to display to consumers at the point of sale. This, by the way, looks exactly like an ingredients thing, like a serving um, a stat block, you know, that it looks just like something you'd find on food which is what i imagined when i read this uh, you know it has to disclose it i i said it has to be kind of like an ingredients list um but damn it why shouldn't it it really should require you to enumerate what it is and why it even exists i shouldn't have to sit there and just swallow it but i do anyway because they're going to charge whatever the hell they want to charge Comcast noted that five major cable and telecom industry trade groups petitioned the FCC in January to change the rules. Comcast's new filing urged the FCC to grant the petition as soon as possible before the rules become effective to help providers streamline and simplify their labeling processes, which will ultimately benefit consumers. Well, did they just say that quiet part out loud? No. I think the quote, so. The quote is from the FCC. The, the rest of it is... Please don't say the quote out loud because that quote out loud <laughs> makes us look like complete asses. Anyway, the label hasn't even reached consumers yet, but Comcast is already trying to create loopholes. The request would allow big ISPs to continue hiding the true cost of service and frustrating cons uh, customers with poor service. It's exactly what I said at the head of this. Anyway, In the grand scheme of things, all I want is internet access at a reasonable rate. Um, and there are fees that are associated with various things, but what are you as a consumer going to do? Go storming into uh, Comcast headquarters and say, I'm not going to pay this $1.99 early termination fee. Look, you're not going to get blood from a stone. So even if you do have an early termination fee, you're not going to get it until I can actually pay it. So you're still going to have to end this. Otherwise, you're going to get even less. You're going to end up going to court, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and there's other things. Um, you know, they it, it actually lists things like speeds provided with plan. Typical download speed, typical upload speed, typical latency. Yeah. Yeah, typical. <laughs> 
not typical unless you call and complain. Yeah, and then magically it speeds up. That's just a coincidence. Anyway, um, there's a lot more of this article, uh, but it really comes down to there are supposed to be new labeling fees and um, Comcast doesn't want you to know what those fees are. They, by labeling fees, I meant labeling of fees in what looks like uh, an ingredient list. Yeah, it's a food label. I mean, I thought when you said labeling fees, we were adding an additional fee to put yeah, the label on. Yeah, that's in the on. fine print. Down here, there's an even smaller print that says there's a labeling fee for the labeling fee of the fee for the label. Let's move on. Um, according to this article in the Mobile Channel, it's actually sourced from uh, where? Vice.com. Huh. Um, Saturn's That's not the moon... typical source. I would think fizz.org or something. Yeah, I thought it was fizz.org, but um, Saturn's moon Enceladus is habitable. Confirms breakthrough study. Are you kidding me? Now, does that mean habitable by humans or like habitable by microbes or something? Well, let's find out. This is over at vice.com. Becky Ferreira. Uh, the little deck statement is a quote. We could build a spacecraft and send it to Enceladus to answer the question, is this habitable place actually inhabited or not? So I'm not quite sure what this is going to actually read like. Scientists have discovered high levels of phosphorus in the ocean spray of Saturn's moon Enceladus, um, marking the first time that this essential ingredient for life has ever been detected in extraterrestrial seawater. Okay, so quite a bit of extrapolation there from, hey, there's phosphorus. The breakthrough reveals that uh, Enceladus is stocked with all the right materials to support life as we know it, and hints that phosphorus may be present in other possible ocean worlds far from Earth, such as Neptune's moon Triton or the dwarf planet Pluto. At this point, nobody knows if any of the places are actually inhabited by aliens, but the new results bolster the evidence that habitable conditions may be common in the solar system and possibly beyond it. There is a whole lot more in this article, but um, basically it comes down to they analyzed a bunch of stuff and uh, found that there was phosphorus, which is a key ingredient to the moon. And then they extrapolate beyond that. Um, articles like this tend to, how do you want to put it? So does that mean somebody could live in the water, but not on the surface? No. In concept? <laughs> no. Some exotic life might be able to exist inside the waters, but not human life. That's not, that's nowhere close to being an option. Um, but any life is better than no life because the argument is that, whoops, uh, the argument is that we are the only life in the universe as it exists now because we haven't found anything else. We haven't found any life anywhere at all, ever. But we've only been in our solar system. So, I mean, if we find this, the ingredients of life somewhere, and they match what we have, then theoretically there was life there, but you need liquid water at a temperature that can sustain life. Even, but if it's exotic life, 
and we even see it, we wouldn't be able to understand it because it doesn't match what our measurements are for quote unquote life. It's basically, I mean, this is Star Trek kind of conversation. You know, you start throwing around really arcane language and you make it sound tech enough and it's magic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It says all of this article amounts to, in other words, Enceladus is the first extraterrestrial world we know that contains marine phosphates, but it may not be the last place where we uh, find these life-giving materials. Jupiter's moons, including Europa and Ganymede, are among many of the worlds that might be uh, also bear habitable oceans, but we're trying to feed the, these bears. <laughs> exactly. Watch out for their surveillance cameras. Space bears. Yeah, they're watching us. That's what all the probing is about. To that end, the European Space Agency recently launched its JUICE spacecraft to study Jupiter's moons, while NASA's Europa Clipper uh, mission is due to depart for its namesake target in 2024. Neat. Well, we'll keep an eye on this prize. I would love to be told one day in my lifetime that we found life on another planet. And it's something more than, you know, I don't know. It's actually something. I'll just say it that way. Something okay. more than a microbe. Yeah, I mean, even if it's a microbe, as long as it's actually alive, that would be spectacular, you know. Because we've been around for millions of years, you know. Maybe life did exist on a moon somewhere and now it's gone because of whatever event, you know. I would suspect typically something big enough impacting the planet so or planetoid or moon or whatever so that it strips the atmosphere away and then all life dies um unless they've they're living underground anyway i would love it Silo. i think it would be amazing yeah oh yeah there you go that's why uh, i'm not so close-minded to say that there is no alien life out there um, but I would love for someone to show me actual proof. Somebody actually show me proof. And even if I, I will, man, I can't say that I won't tell people, <laughs> but I want to know, you know, that would be amazing. Hey, we actually do have alien ships on the planet. It wouldn't really change my worldview either. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a loon, you know, it, New evidence means that I have a different worldview. It doesn't disrupt me to the point where I'm going to become, I'm just going to flip out or whatever. It amounts to, holy shit, we're really, really, really not alone. It's not that we're not alone in theory because we haven't gone out there. It's that we really aren't alone. You know, I don't think that we're alone anyway because we have, well, people think that. The earth is flat for crying out loud. Yeah. That's the polar opposite of me. So I know that we're not alone. <laughs> There's aliens here. Anyway. Um, yeah. Let's go on to the next article. Make sense. Let's yeah. do it. Um, according to this article over in the mobile channel, which is over at the hill, um, the U S has started a food fight with Mexico on June 2nd. The U S filed for consultations 
uh, with Mexico over its bands of GM corn and herbicide glyphosate. I'm going to get it right. Glyphosate uh, or glyphosate. Um, invoking rules under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, USMCA, on June 9th, Canada announced it will join as a third party and is siding with the U.S. The U.S. and Canada will argue that Mexico's bans are unscientific. Mexico will argue that about bees, biodiversity, and the environment. The same food fight is playing out around the globe which is why the United States needs the legal win as well as convincing rebuttal of Mexico's narrative. This is over at thehill.com by Mark L. Bush, who's an opinion contributor. Whenever we aggregate something that uh, tends to be really interesting in terms of its context, um, it tends to be an opinion. (laughs) Um, So I kind of dig this. Mexico is saying that they don't want any GM stuff, genetically modified stuff. And uh, the U.S. and Canada are saying, eh, you're not looking at the science. So the bans were set out in a decree in 2020, which called for achieving self-sufficiency and food sovereignty. Uh, Mexico's president, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, wanted these bans in place by 2024. Last February, however, a new decree was issued putting um, the ban in place immediately on GM corn for human consumption. GM corn and animal feed and industrial uses such as cosmetics, textiles, and paper is exempt until substitutes are found. The ban on glyphosate will take place, uh, will go into effect on March 31st, 2024. Well, it says here, the U.S. will make several arguments. First, Mexico's approach on GM corn and glyphosate uh, isn't based on international standards. There are several global bodies that are active in this policy space, but neither decree mentions them or explains why Mexico needs to depart from their guidelines and standards. Curiously, Mexico does mention international standards when trying to justify its food self-sufficiency policies although the source and content of these are a complete mystery. Kind of interesting. Um, I think that there is discussion about glyphosate being a uh, probable human carcinogen. Um, I don't think that that's actually an issue, so I'm not surprised that a country might take that stance. What's interesting is that it's Mexico first, um, as for GM corn, um, I, I, I don't really buy into it. Uh, I know that I don't really, the way that I feel about genetically modified anything is I don't think we have enough knowledge, but there hasn't been anything so extraordinarily bad happening that we put pause into action, you know, like, oh, okay, let's just stop everything GM. We know through millions of iterations, you know, generations upon generations of genetically modifying stuff that it isn't impacting our food sources like beef. There there's genetically modified materials going into beef. There's genetically modified beef. Um, And it hasn't substantively or substantially changed anything in our food supply. Now, by the time we actually find out, it might be too late. So what do we do? Do we just stop 
and then the issues that are brought on by society become very well known. We have golden rice that's genetically modified and it has reversed or prevented blindness in millions of people since its invention. Um, we have other solutions that have made more robust seeds that are um, antimicrobial that fight off insects um, naturally. But what is it doing to our genetics? And we, also, what is it doing to the ecosystem generally? Like, is it impacting other flora and fauna? We don't really know. Right. Yep. That's the that's the main thing. You know, they researchers, scientists, the the academics, um, and I I say that pretty cavalierly. Um, the uh, the science says that there's junk code in genetics, but I hate the idea of someone claiming that there's junk code. It's more like we just don't understand what the hell it's doing um, until we do. And then we find out, oh, shit, you know, it's doing this, that or the other. And we've done that again and again and again. So I don't really buy into the fact that it's junk code. Um, there's a lot more at this article, um, but I'm going to encourage you to go over there because the article is about the food fight, um, but it actually goes a little bit deeper into the nuts and bolts of why the food fight exists. Um, making comments like, but the science isn't insufficient. In fact, Mexico has done many of its own studies, having authorized 177 projects to research and experiment with GM corn. Plan B is for Mexico to change the conversation to bees, biodiversity, and the environment. Um, it's quite an expansive and interesting article. Um, but again, it's... You know, read who the messenger is, what their uh, particular focus is. If there is an actual message here, short of just uh, educational... Um, but you have to make that determination. I can't make that determination for you. And I, I think, think this is one of these rare articles where it's not real clear if either side is correct or maybe neither is, right? Maybe it's somewhere in between. Yeah, based on what I've read, it's in between because there's science here that says that this is bad there's science here that says we don't know what the long-term impact is of this. There is science here that says that if we don't allow this, we don't have the infrastructure in place to support the outcomes needed without the GM modification. Why? Because naturally we don't get the volume um, across the board. But there's minutia in here, you know, the reason why we like yellow corn that's highly bright um, colored and and blah, blah, blah um, is because of marketing. If we were raised with the idea that dirty corn was fine, then we wouldn't have a problem with uh, you know, brown corn kernels, you know, rainbow corn corn kernels, whatever it might be. The same thing applies to so many other things, you know, if we didn't demand for sales purposes that apples be just spectacular um, we would 
have uh, uglier food, if you want to call it that, but we would have more of it because we have to plant it all over the place and take care of our ecosystem instead of consolidate it into ownership by only a select few people, organizations. Um, not everybody is lucky enough to live within five minutes of an orchard where you can just go and get your own apples and vegetables and or have the ability to walk down to your basement and grow whatever you know, plants you want. Um, so I urge you all to figure that out. Hydroponics are pretty simple. Um, and Kratky hydroponics modified, um, are spectacular, spectacularly easy. The only thing you have to worry about is nutrients and they're all natural nutrients in liquid form. You don't have to freak out about that. It's, and you don't have to worry about pesticides and all of that kind of stuff because you're in control of it and pesticides and, and other things are either mitigated entirely um, or very small uh, amount of risk. Yeah, because you can get like fruit flies and stuff periodically. Anyway, um, enough with that. Let's go on to the next article. Um, this next article is in the hometown daily channel salt on Itukawa uh, asteroid suggests liquid water. So now we've got phosphates on a moon and liquid water on an asteroid. Uh, the discovery of and salt. Sorry, let me rephrase that salt in what might have been water on an asteroid. The discovery of tiny salt grains in an asteroid sample provides strong evidence that liquid water may have been more common in the solar system's largest asteroid population than previously thought. The smattering of tiny salt crystals discovered uh, in a sample from an asteroid has researchers excited because these crystals can only have formed in the presence of liquid water. Even more intriguing, according to re the research team, is the fact that the sample comes from an S-type asteroid, a category known to lack hydrated or water-bearing minerals. The discovery strongly suggests that a, a large population of asteroids hurtling through the solar system may not be as dry as previously thought. So maybe it's a misclassified asteroid, huh? Right. So um, I think they call this the potato or something like that, right? I'm not sure. Itokawa is a peanut-shaped near-Earth asteroid about 2,000 feet long, 750 feet in diameter, and is believed to have broken off from a much larger parent body. Daniel Stolt from Arizona, <clears throat> probably Arizona, I don't know where. Anyway, um, this is an article over at futurity.org. I'm about to lose my voice. <clears throat> um, so they uh, talk about what we just talked about, but it says here, the discovery strongly suggests that a large population of asteroids hurtling through the solar system may not be as dry as previously thought. And the finding was published in Nature Astronomy. It gives renewed push to the hypothesis that most, if not all, water on Earth may have arrived by way of asteroids during the planet's tumult tumultuous, that's a big word, infancy. I don't think tumultuous infancy should be a combination. Right, anyway, that's not, it doesn't sound good together. <laughs> once these ingredients come together to form asteroids, there is a potential for liquid water to form. I think this is pretty interesting. Um, there's long been discussion that the water on Earth has 
like came from asteroids uh, smashing into the earth as it was forming um i think it's pretty interesting but it's all speculation oh they it even is, say it's that kind of similar to the other article with the phosphorus yeah i agree um let me throw this into uh, the chat it's real still quick. really interesting because i think each of these discoveries points to more likelihood that either there is something out there or there could have been something out there etc yeah i think it would be amazing to find out that there is there was something out there um but yeah we were watching something earlier today um so yeah i pointed the uh camera for the ai at um a tv um so that they could observe what i watch as uh a, an occupant in or as a citizen in hometown you know because the ai doesn't actually have eyes um so they consumed from the video and uh, it was an interesting um statement where we we discovered plate tectonics when in the 1960s i think right i think that's the the statement right and um and we're discovering stuff from the roman era in the uk i keep going back to this because i find it absolutely astonishing and we are finding stuff you know four inches down in a field that existed during the roman empire in the uk that people didn't even know about people forgot about so Imagine trying to find this needle in a haystack that there might have been life out there <laughs> sometime in the billions of years that we or life has actually been around, you know. By the way, 1963, but it did have its beginnings in 1915 when they thought about continental drift. Right. I remember that continental drift. Um, and it was probably spoken of by some, you know, uh, fringe scientist in the 1800s too. And everybody poo pooed it until they discovered that it really was legit. Um, so towards the end of the article, they say the evidence pointing at the salt crystals and the Itokawa sample has been there since the beginning of the solar system does not end here. However, the researchers found a vein of plagioclase, a sodium rich silicate material running through the sample enriched with sodium chloride. So it's a little bit more significant than pointing at a couple of salt crystals, but sodium chloride permeated the sample. That's what they should have led with. All right, let's go on to the next. I buried the lead there. Yeah. EU outlines rules aiming to make it clear when content has been generated by an AI. Yeah, they're coming for your jobs. European Parliament today agreed on its proposed rules on AI will look ahead of being formally agreed upon by EU member states. The new rules aim to make it easier to spot when content has been AI generated, including deepfake images 
and would completely outlaw AI's use in biometric surveillance, emotion recognition, and predictive policing. So predictive policing, how are they going to do predictive policing with AI? They're going to have future crimes unit. Yeah, it sounds like minority report, doesn't it? <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, instead of having instead uh, of the um, I can't think what the precogs. Yeah, instead of having the precogs, you have a, a precog predictive policing uh, AI. <laughs> the new rules would mean AI tools such as OpenAI's ChatGPT would have to make it clear that content is AI generated and would have some responsibility for ensuring users know when an image is a deep fake or the real deal. All I want is the sources. If OpenAI's ChatGPT says something as fact, it had better cite the source. Otherwise, I can't trust it. So I, I use it as a utility. I throw a bunch of text in there and tell me and, and say, tell me what's popular um, because I want to use a particular tag or something like that. Well, the problem with that is its data is two years old. So it's really no better than me throwing darts at a dartboard. Um, so I have better ability to discern what might be the proper hashtag, let's say. Um, and I don't even, I don't use it to write summaries. I don't use it for anything, um, in show notes or whatever. The only time I use any AI right now is for the thumbnails, because I think that it's more entertaining and it's part and parcel to the reality hacker, um, project that I'm working on. So, um, enough of that. Let's go over and look at the source. Uh, Jacob Ridley over at PC gamer, put the article together says uh, also detailed summaries of copyrighted data used in training AI models would need to be publicly available. So this right here is going to be the fire that lights every copyright holder up because they're going to go, you used my stuff to train your AI without my authorization. Exactly. But yeah, that's we've talked about that in some previous articles. I don't see why that matters. I mean, it's looking at the material. It's not taking it. it it's but I think it is taking it in some instances. Not all AI, but I think some are actually taking it. Because it has the ability to reproduce it. But it doesn't. I think so. If it's not manipulating it or changing it up or whatever. But I mean, it absolutely for example, is. What if there was like an artwork or something and then it just... Uh -huh plops the same artwork out then it's a forgery but you'll never find the same artwork it's always manipulated in a significant enough way where you can discern the difference if you're not being overly critical of it every single artwork that i have seen that's created by an ai has always been manipulated in such a grandiose way that it's obvious that it's ai um, it doesn't right, but it wouldn't it. have to be visual art. It could be anything. It could be some prose or yeah, the same saying, thing. I don't Writing style and stuff like that. It might just be, but it might just be the stuff verbatim. I don't. 
right, get right, the right, sense right. that everything is just like recreated or whatever. When it's right. recreated, I don't see a problem with it. When it's just like copied, that's a different issue. Yeah, but people, what people are saying is that training your AI on a book um, is copyright theft. And that's just not how it, that's not how I perceive it. Because I agree. They're not taking anything. They're not keeping, they're not even, it's not even being used yeah. or consumed. It's being reviewed for whatever it is, the content that it is. Um, well, that's kind of like an author reading a bunch somebody of books else's work. By an author. Exactly. And then they're inspired to write something exactly. else, maybe in the same genre, maybe not. Um, You're sounding a little I distant. Think, oh, okay. But I think part of it depends on how the AI is set up, because if it just spits out content that's already from that and it's really not creating anything new, then I think you're back to the same problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, then it's plagiarism and you have to make sure that your AI isn't a dipshit. So, um, and that's really my problem right now. I think that chat GPT is pretty stupid for being brilliant as a tool. It's really dumb in that it lies bald faced lie. It will tell you whatever you, it wants to spew out. And if you use it in a courtroom, you're disbarred. If you use it in your academic pursuit, it's plagiarism and you're going to get punted from academia. Um, if you do anything where it's used and you claim that it's yours and you didn't review it for its factual, uh, evidence, ethics is going to come and bite you on the ass. Um, and you don't want that dog to bite you. So anyway, um, I, w I, I think that this is interesting, but, um, I want to see what this actually ends up. I, I, I feel like we're going to be getting food labels on everything. You know, we're going to publish something and somewhere in that publication, we're going to have to say, this was or was not created using AI. And you have to clearly discern, make the claim that it wasn't created by AI because everybody's going to default to, uh, you used AI somewhere in this, didn't you? <laughs> so you have well, to make that. Especially people that are a copyright holder and they think that it was created based on their work. Right. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, there's so much of interest. I was having a conversation today um, regarding this that I talk about the news on the regular um, and they're like, well, this that's all really sad. And I'm like, no, it's, it's awesome because it's always dynamic. It's always changing. There's always something interesting that's going on. Um, so I really love talking about the news in these little fits and starts instead of one highly focused discussion. Um, I love the idea of talking about a whole bunch of different ones. Um, and AI is just one area, um, of a vast, uh, amount of information out there. It's coming, it's getting smarter. It's going to take jobs. It's going to replace artistic creation and uh, across the board from music to writing to art. Um, if a human can do it, a computer can be trained to do it. Um, and now I'm seeing automation and 
AI work together where even fine motor skills are starting to be developed, which is going to get really freaking creepy, particularly if whatever the gig is that requires fine motor skills is something that is a standard is able to be standardized as a process. Um, even fine motor skills can be replicated if the return on the investment is high enough. The creator of this bot will keep on refining the tech until um, it allows for the replacement of the human entirely. So I everybody should be keeping an eye on chat GPT mid journey, the thousands probably at this point of derivatives of mid journey, because there's a whole bunch of AIs that are artistic. Now there's music and there's writing and art, man, this is, this is going to be some interesting times, but anyway, let's get on to the last article for today. Um, and this is a follow on for the article that we were talking about day before yesterday. There wasn't anything about this yesterday. Um, but in the last 24 hours, the FTC wins a temporary restraining order blocking the Microsoft Activision deal, which I said was probably going to take place. The US federal because they had applied the FTC sued to block the Microsoft Activision deal. And so uh, um, I said, yeah, it's probably going to happen because it's taking away options from people and it, it just creates this juggernaut of a company. Anyway, the uh, U.S. Federal Trade Commission has been granted temporary restraining order against uh, Microsoft's proposed acquisition of uh, Activision Blizzard. That means that the deal is officially on hold, mandated by the federal government until the courts can rule on the FTC's request for preliminary injunction against the closure of the deal, which is itself a temporary measure aimed at halting the deal until the FTC's legal challenge against the acquisition is completed. So they're basically arguing about how to argue about how to stop the deal from taking place. If there are any issues, pardon me. So uh, Andy Chalk over at PCGamer.com put the article together. And um, let's see, it says, until recently, defendants indicated that they would not complete the proposed acquisition unless and until they received clearance from European regulators, including in proceedings before the court in a private case challenging the proposed acquisition. The FTC's filing states, following the decision by the UK's competitions, and markets authority to block the deal. However, press reports began circulating, suggesting that defendants were seriously contemplating. Uh, it says closing, it says closed the proposed acquisition, closing the proposed acquisition, despite pending uh, administrative litigation and the CMA orders. So, <clears throat> um, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought it was approved. Yeah, Microsoft $68.7 billion deal to acquire Activision Blizzard has been approved by EU regulators just weeks after the UK regulators blocked the acquisition. So uh, the EU has approved it, but UK has blocked it. 
Um, I guess in light of that, they, the, uh, because of Brexit, I suppose that Microsoft and Activision Blizzard would buy into the greater preponderance of the population bound in EU and follow that because EU is the one that has the greatest number of venues in which to sell the products simply by way of existing as a single entity i'm pretty sure that the uk would have to just accept the fact that this new organization exists so i don't know what are they going to do they're going to block a, a company from forming if all of the eu actually signs on to it the us is going to look at it and go well, I mean, it's just another company that's merging. What really is the negative impact? They're not going to listen to Mayor Watt. I mean, everybody should I know might. by now. <laughs> I, so I should step up. Well, I mean, everybody else has. <laughs> so I can file an amicus brief? No? I was talking about all the turnover in the UK. I wasn't necessarily talking about the... Oh, me actually sending it. I oh, appreciate it. Thanks. I guess I, you know, I need to read the fine print of all of the statements that you make. I almost put my nose where it didn't belong. All right, folks. Um, let's see here. It says our excellent legal team has been preparing for this uh, move for more than a year, and we're ready to present our case to a federal judge who can evaluate the transaction on the merits. The facts are on our side and we will continue to keep you updated throughout the process, says the Activision Blizzard CEO. <coughs> yeah. So I wonder what's going to happen. You know, Microsoft becomes Microsoft Activision Blizzard. The CEO is no longer because it'll be the Microsoft CEO. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen here. This is just and I did look a... up. There's 27 countries in the EU. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it used to all follow the same, arguably the same tenets until Brexit. And then it all broke up. But anyway, well, I mean, the EU is its own separate entity now. And only in certain trade agreements does the UK follow EU. Um, so we'll keep an eye on all of this kind of stuff and we'll talk about it as time permits. I need to throw this into the chat because I did not do it. I'll do it before the show ends. There you go. And I'll throw this in um, so you can check it out there too. So now we've got them all in the show notes. Go check it out. Um, and in the meantime, I'll bring us back to the front page. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I'll mash it this time so that we can see the newer stuff. Oof. I have to scroll fast. Otherwise, certain things end up on the screen. I'm not too happy about. Looks like it's just kind of reiterating the same thing over and over again. Uh, a lot of bad news today. Music publishers sue Twitter for $250 million, citing copyright infringement on Twitter. <clears throat> Pardon, my voice just cracked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about Beyonce single-handedly increasing inflation in Sweden? That's kind of interesting. That's up at the top. 
What? Where? Where where was that? I don't It's the second article. At the very top? Mm-hmm. Oh, the third article for me. Oh. Uh, Beyonce single handedly increased inflation in Sweden, economist says. And we'll have to keep that for tomorrow's show. <laughs> <laughs> and we can talk about it. Interesting. All right, folks. Well, that's how it works. We grab about 12 articles. We actually grab a considerable higher number and then we kind of weed it down to 12. Used to be 10. And you know how inflation goes. Um, and the way that it works is kind of like inflation and sh shrinkflation, right? We still try to get this into an hour. We end up being an hour and a half or two. Um, and some of the articles are smaller, but it's still the same price or more expensive. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I am about to lose my voice. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say bye. You want to say bye, AI? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern for the hometown daily. And then probably before that for other shows. You got it. Bye-bye, everybody.